A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If Michael Schumacher had better luck in 2012... Could he have been a championship contender? So Michael Schumacher's 55th birthday is today, and I got thinking back to his last season in F1. Could it have been better? Well, if you stick around to watch the video all the way to the end, yes, it definitely could have been much better. You see, I remember back in 2012, the entire season, Michael Schumacher was extremely unlucky, and me being a Schumi fan, I was going, oh my god, he retired again? Why does this keep happening? Yeah. You're right, because when you look at the three seasons that Shumi was part of the Ross Braun back team, he retired a total of 14 times, whereas Nico Rosberg DNF'd half as often, with half of Michael's eliminations coming in 2012 alone. Because it was quite clear that Nico Rosberg definitely had an advantage over Michael Schumacher. And I don't think it was down necessarily entirely to the likes of, oh, Nico's just younger. But it's not the only factor, because between 2006 and 2010, a lot of things were changing in the world of Formula 1. Michael Schumacher's last year with Ferrari began the era of V8s, and that was all well and good. But back then, Bridgestone and Ferrari, they were like that. So therefore, they could work together really well and capitalize on the fact that Michael Schumacher liked to just completely grab the car by its throat and just wring it dry, get every single ounce of performance that he could get. And that was a time in Formula One where you could do that, where cars were expected to just last the entire race weekend. And at some times, you could even have components that would just last for a single session. Remember the days of qualifying engines? You could just have an engine block there for that one hour and then chuck it out at the end of it and then you could just replace it and other components just for the next race. You could just go through it like crazy. Innovation was constantly happening. Whereas now, you have to really be careful with what you put in that car. It has to last for a considerable amount of races. Back in the day, where you could have engines just last one race weekend, now you're expecting one entire power unit to last ideally for about a third of the season. You've got to be really careful. No longer can we have the days where drivers could just go completely flat out. They don't have to care about those components and they can just go out and race. Not to mention for the fact that refueling no longer existed, which was there for pretty much all of Michael's career. Testing was considerably reduced. In-season testing banned altogether something of which Michael Schumacher loved to make the most of. It was not going to win in races, and therefore he had to completely change the way he actually went about Formula One, considering that there is no in-season testing. Testing was considerably reduced anyway, so therefore Michael Schumacher couldn't just go for days and days and days and just try and figure out the solutions. It 
was a lot slower in terms of coming up to the fore. So therefore, Nico Rosberg had a natural advantage since he started in F1 with Williams in 2006 and he was there throughout the entire slow evolution of what Formula 1 became in 2010. Therefore, he had a complete grasp in what to expect with Formula 1. He was there to roll with the punches, whereas Michael, he had a four-year gap. He might have had a little bit of an opportunity had Michael's neck injury not impeded him from actually helping out Ferrari in 2009 when Felipe Massa had his crash. But that's not to say that Michael Schumacher didn't catch up to Nico Rosberg. Of course he did. And fortunately for him, he and Nico had joined a team which, of course, had a fantastic year as Braun GP in 2009. But come 2010, and Mercedes now becoming one of the major owners of the team, and then, of course, supported with the likes of the Abu Dhabi firm Abar, they were obviously having to realise that, oh, we have to act like a proper team now and actually develop. Hey, if you think about it, Braun was the precursor to what Haas are these days. As in, oh, we have one nice car and then, uh, then what? But to be fair to Braun, they really did not have any money. They were just trying to exist. Whereas Haas, let's not go there today. Now, this isn't to say that the Mercedes team of 2010 was absolutely terrible and they were incredibly slow. No, it just meant that instead of being at the forefront of the grid, they were now sort of in the middle, at the bottom end of the front runners, but probably a considerable amount ahead of the midfield pack. But of course, this being a Rossborn team, they were very busy with innovating stuff because by the time we get to 2012, they had a nice little thing up their sleeves. We had the double diffuser of 2009. Well, Ross Braun likes to double up things because, of course, there was the double DRS. Let's just say that double DRS was effectively both wings working at the same time. There were little flaps in the front wings, which meant that it could complement the rear wing and therefore they could get double the impact. There were loads of little tubes going around the cars, but it was banned for 2013. And then the team quickly realized that maybe it wasn't the best thing out there as it kind of limited development towards the end of the season. There were quite a lot more intricate details in the front wing. It meant that they really couldn't do much because otherwise it might upset the rear wing and you have to change the philosophy of the entire car. It did have its drawbacks. And since it was no longer going to be allowed the following season, what would be the point of innovating it further? It was a dead end. So therefore, obviously, they had to change tack and think of something else. By the time they did, everyone else had been going off to the next best thing of exhaust blown diffusers. So yeah, Mercedes were left on the back foot and they fell down hard. However, the main focus of this video is the first half of the year, when Mercedes looked fairly competitive before the team fell away. And this was right off the back of them signing Lewis Hamilton for 2013. Oh, oh, that must have been awkward for Niki Lauda to explain away. And this was before Toto Wolff came along and therefore we couldn't have had his juicy sound bites. Yeah, if I were Lewis at that time, I would have been... um, Yeah, I would have not been happy. So before Michael Schumacher got his only encore podium in Valencia, he only finished twice with two points to his name, whereas Nico Rosberg had 67. Now on the surface, 67 points to two, that makes it look like, oh, Michael Schumacher, why is he here? He's just taking up a slot. Get him out. Hey, 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 hey. Only one of those rigs weekends would I go, yeah, maybe. And out of Spain, Michael Schumacher had all of the technical woes that the WO3 could throw at them. Whereas Nico Rosberg, he was completely bulletproof. In fact, throughout the entire season of 2012, Nico Rosberg did not have a technical DNF. His three DNFs came towards the latter end of the season, and they were all involved with crashes and fracas. And most of them were kind of indirect, but let's just say that Nico Rosberg, he didn't have a technical gremlin get in the way. Other drivers were getting in the way. 
So let's look back at those technical gremlins and let's just sprinkle some magic dust. So that means they do not hinder Michael Schumacher and he has the same reliability excellence that his younger teammate had. I think by the end of this, you are going to see that it could have been quite juicy indeed. So in Australia, both Schumacher and Rosberg made solid starts and Michael was ahead for the first chunk of the race before a gearbox problem curtailed his race on lap 10. And Rosberg fell all the way down to 12 thanks to a last minute contact with Checo from an otherwise eighth position. Considering that Rosberg started off quite solidly and he fell away for the rest of the race, I think Michael probably would have had the same issue. So I could envisage maybe a P6 that Michael lost out on, right behind Fernando Alonso, who was already having a bit of a bad day in the office himself. Then Malaysia came along and Michael had qualified third, a snifter behind the McLarens, and Rosberg was all the way back in eighth. But then Michael was hit by... He was struck by... Grosjean. So he lost out on third and he had to make a recovery drive all the way back up to 10th. So that was a huge amount of points lost. Schumacher could have had third place because this was damp conditions. This was one of the best places we could have seen Michael Schumacher excel. He could have easily gotten those 15 points, but no, he had to come away with just one through no fault of his own. And once again, Rosberg failed to score. So it was a really bad day in the office for Mercedes. Then China came along. The race sneaker Rosberg won from pole, but Michael was right beside him thanks to Hamilton having a grid drop. This to me could have easily been a Mercedes 1-2, the first of the modern era. But unfortunately, Michael yet again had a problem. All thanks to a faulty wheel gun and a mix-up in communications in the pit. So yeah, 18 points lost in my opinion. So in the midst of all the glory of Nico Rosberg getting his first win ever, I am now realizing that, hey, in these first three races, Michael Schumacher might have lost out on 41 points. He would have been right up there in the mix for the world title. All of this in his early 40s, way before Fernando Alonso made it actually quite doable that a guy in his 40s could be competitive in Formula One still. At least in the modern era, because let's not forget Juan Manuel Fangio. Then Bahrain was dogged with a DRS issue with Saul Michael out in Q1, which was a shame since he was looking good in practice, as was Nico. Then he had a gearbox penalty. Fun. So yeah, he had to make yet another recovery drive like he did in Malaysia, going from 22nd on the grid to 10th at the end of it. So yeah, of course, he did a really good job in actually getting some points after a really bad day in the office, but it could have easily been another decent points paying position. I reckon that he could have gotten fifth place since Rosberg was quite leery during that race. In fact, this was the race that birthed the legendary Alonso quote, All the time you have to leave a space! It was because Rosberg was pushing him off wide and... Yeah, I think that Schumacher would have been the cleaner driver that weekend. Oh, thank you, Nico, for birthing such a magnificent radio quote. The first of many for Fernando. But yeah, I reckon that's nine points lost for Michael. As for Spain, yeah, I've got no excuses for that. That was an absolutely scrappy race. When you look at that incident that he had with Bruno Senna, yeah, that was just sloppy. Even Mercedes knew it was bad. They knew that they were going to get a slam dunk grid penalty for the following race. Michael was just kind of going like that and he was like, and then Bruno was gone. So I don't blame Senna for being really, really upset that day because he was looking on for points as well. And yeah, Bruno really needed all the points that he could get just to survive a Formula One. But yeah, Michael, I'm sorry. I, I'm a fan, but yeah, that was terrible. And that, of course, spoiled his Monaco race because he could have had pole there and his first win since China 2006. I don't think Michael would have let anybody through. He was determined to win that weekend and he could have done it. But then again, considering that he had that DNF, because yet again, it was a technical gremlin, 
fuel pressure problems. Oh, it would have been all the more tragic if he was leading the race and then he had that. Oh, I don't think my heart would have taken it. Ross Braun's radio quote to him after he got that provisional poll of, what a little star. Yeah, I think that was quite well justified. But that fuel pressure problem later on in the race did rear its ugly head. So therefore, in those two races, that's 29 points, another 29 points lost. The last of the pre-Valencia DNFs came in Canada thanks to a faulty DRS flap, the rigmaroles of pioneering technology coming back to bite Michael. He had already been in a grump during qualifying, believed that he had been impeded, therefore he could only manage ninth on the grid. Nico was able to get fifth place, but I don't really see Michael getting any more because they were a little bit behind the rest of the pack. It was starting to fall away from them as other teams were catching up, so I don't imagine anything maybe higher than seventh place for Michael behind Felipe Massa perhaps, so... That's only six points lost because he did have that DNF, but it's still a, a nice little bit of points before we then get to Valencia and then he gets that third place. So going into Germany 2012, it could have been a lot different for Michael Schumacher in terms of his fortune. In reality, Michael had 29 points to his name. If we gave him the same bulletproof car that Rosberg had, he could have had an additional 85 points to his name, giving him a total of 114 by race 10 of the season. Well, just third place in the championship ahead of Vettel, who would then go on to win the title. And Mercedes would have been second in the constructors instead of being a distant fifth where they would end up in the end. It was incredibly tragic for Michael Schumacher that he did not have the opportunity to show what he could have done. Him being able to finally adapt to the new way that Formula One was working. It completely impeded him being able to get a considerable amount of points and help Mercedes in the constructors battle and aid his teammate Nico throughout the first half of the season. By the time the car was made much more reliable, the car had just fallen like a stone. Neither of them could score points. The last time that Nico Rosberg scored in 2012 was at Singapore when they did bring their last upgrade. He got fifth place, whereas Michael, he did have his little Mardi with Jean-Éric Verne, so he didn't score then. And then Michael got the last bit of points in seventh for his final race in Brazil. So it was a really bad time for Mercedes. They were just left behind and something that they would have to work on for 2013 with Lewis Hamilton instead of Michael Schumacher. He was not going to be a championship contender throughout the entire season because the rest of the teams were consistently upgrading. They had answers. Red Bull, of course, they had their own little variation of the double DRS. They also had the exhaust blown diffusers. All the other teams had the money and the budget and the resources to be able to carry on developing. Whereas Mercedes, they had a really cool idea but then it got banned, and then it had plenty of faults further down the line, and therefore they didn't really have an answer and they couldn't update in a timely fashion. They didn't have the advantage of the Braun days to fall back on. They were already just an okay lineup. They were looking competitive at the start, but then they weren't. So therefore they fell down to fifth place in the constructors, and Michael Schumacher just looked incredibly washed. And that was just not fair. He lost out on nearly 90 points. That's a really big chunk of change to lose. It's like Fernando Alonso and his bad luck in 2022. He lost a considerable amount of points then. If he just had those points and those chances to get quite a few more podiums and a win, it would have just battered away all of the naysayers saying that Michael Schumacher, oh, what's he doing here? Nico's just running rings around him. But to be fair, um, let's just say the Hungarian Grand Prix, that wasn't his finest race. Uh, a lot of things happened that weekend and a lot of them would make you just go, oh my God, what are you doing, Michael? But regardless, it does make you wonder. What might have been? Thanks for listening to my ladder ramblings. If you liked what you heard, do be sure to leave a five-star rating on your podcasting platform of choice. I really do appreciate it. And until the next time I traverse the ladder, I hope you have a pleasant day. Goodbye. <laughs>